Well, good morning, Hellas Church uh, and friends from various places tuning in today. I trust you've been singing loud from your various households. Like Paul and Silas, who worshiped their way through prison, we want to worship our way through our current circumstances as well. And this time that we have together each week to come together online, virtually, uh, is designed to help us do just that. Now, before we dive in, I want you to know that I am under some pressure today. Colin McMillan has been pressuring me to shave everything but a nice quarantine stash. So far, I've resisted mainly because we're shooting these videos and I love you. And so I've refrained from, from that. But if enough of you give me a green light, then I will go for it. Uh, and we'll roll that way for a little while. Well, as I've been meditating this uh, past week and praying through what God would have me share with you today, I, I've been torn between two passages been conflicted. One is the passage that we have now arrived at in our study of the book of Acts. It's a story that spotlights the ministry of the word and contrasts the way people either receive or reject God's word. It's a passage that encourages us to teach the scriptures in such a way that always proclaims Jesus as our messianic king. And it's also a passage that invites us to search the scriptures for ourselves. Acts 17, verse 11 is one of my favorite verses in the whole book. It says, The people here, that is, in a place called Berea, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, these were people who loved and longed for the word, the type of people we want to make up our church. They they knew how to search the scriptures for themselves. And as we continue social distancing and being semi-quarantined for the foreseeable future, I want to make sure you know how to search the scriptures for yourselves so that you can meet with Jesus as you read your Bibles daily. And, and so to do that, I, I've decided to provide an additional teaching uh, on that topic. I'll provide a very practical message on how to search the scriptures to find Jesus. It will be a standalone teaching that we'll make available to you on Tuesday. And the main reason for that is because it will be a little bit longer and have a little different feel than what our current Sunday experience in the Word is like. And so hopefully it will help you uh, not only engage the Word during these days, but also to teach the Word to others. So be looking forward to that being released and made available on Tuesday. The second passage I've been meditating on is, is the one I believe I should share with you today. So let me invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 66. As you know, I've been immersing myself in the Psalms, and I hope you've been encouraged by the Psalms for this season series. More of that is still coming, so look forward to those, and I hope they're a blessing to you. But Psalm 66 is where I believe God would have us focus our mind's attention and our heart's affections this morning. And so I want to begin just by reading this psalm in its entirety. If you are able and, and willing from where you are, I'd encourage you to stand and just in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to have to stay seated so that I can stay mic'd up. But I'm going to read Psalm 66 in its entirety and then we'll dive right in. The passage reads, let the whole earth shout joyfully to God. Sing about the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awe-inspiring are your works. 
Your enemies will cringe before you because of your great strength. The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. He turned the sea into dry land, and they crossed the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him. He rules forever by his might. He keeps his eye on the nations. The rebellious should not exalt themselves. Bless our God, you peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He keeps us alive and does not allow our feet to slip. For you, God, tested us. You refined us as silver is refined. You lured us into a trap. You placed burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you brought us out to abundance. I will enter your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows that my lips promised and my mouth spoke during my distress. I will offer you fattened sheep as burnt offerings with the fragrant smoke of rams. I will sacrifice bulls with goats. Come and listen, all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, and praise was on my tongue. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, God has listened. He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. Blessed be God. He has not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love from me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what I love about this psalm is how it begins. It begins with this panoramic appeal. Verse 1, let the whole earth shout joyfully to God. Verse 5, come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. So the question is, why should the whole earth shout joyfully to God? What awe-inspiring acts should solicit exuberant worship from all people everywhere? Well, one answer to that question might be God's work of creation. The fact that God has given all humanity a beautiful and bountiful earth and he gifts us with life. Another answer might be God's work in providence. That God has not removed himself from creation. Instead, he personally sustains and shepherds life according to the purposes of his grace. So both creation and providence provide sufficient reasons for explosions of joy to ring loud from every corner of the earth. But those are not the answers the psalmist gives here. Instead, he zeroes in on God's work of redemption. Notice verse 6. Verse 6 refers to the moment God parted the sea so that the Israel so that Israel could escape from Egyptian bondage. But why should the world care about that? Why should the world shout for joy because of what God did for this tiny, insignificant people group, this tiny people group who were not major players on the world stage at that time. Well, it's no secret that the Old Testament refers to Israel as God's chosen people. And such exclusionary language may be off-putting to some, but we must remember two reasons why God chose Israel. First of all, he did not choose them because they were in any way superior to all the other people groups in the world. 
In fact, just the opposite seems to be the case. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, we, we're told the Lord had his heart set on Israel and chose Israel, not because they were more numerous than all peoples, for they were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved them and kept the oath he swore to their fathers, he brought them out with a strong hand and redeemed them from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So his choice of Israel, much like his calling of Abraham centuries prior, issued forth from pure grace. It was favor freely bestowed. See, the redemption of Israel declares that God is a God of grace. And that should gladden hearts everywhere because that means every sinner has a chance of being redeemed. And that's reason to shout. That's reason for joy. Second of all, God chose Israel for an inclusive purpose. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so Israel wasn't chosen to the exclusion of everyone else in the world. Instead, Israel was chosen for the sake of everyone else in the world for the sake of every other people group on the planet. God chose Israel so that his salvation could extend to the ends of the earth. And so the redemption of Israel declares that God is a God with a plan. And that should gladden hearts everywhere. Israel was just the beginning of God's international rescue mission. Their crossing of the Red Sea represented the definitive redeeming act in the Old Testament. It was so significant that New Testament writers viewed it as a paradigm for understanding the gospel. At Jesus' transfiguration, we're told that he met with Moses and Elijah on top of a mountain. And Peter, James, and John were there to observe what was happening as, as Jesus has this conversation with these Old Testament figures and and Luke 9.31 says, They appeared in glory and were speaking of his, that is, Jesus' departure. This departure which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now the word departure literally translates exodus. Jesus would bring about the true exodus after entering Jerusalem on what's come to be known as Palm Sunday, which happens to be the Sunday that we find ourselves in now. And through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus would redeem people of every nation, tribe, and tongue from their bondage to sin, Satan, and death. True redemption means to cross over from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. This is the redemption that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection would usher in for people like us, for all people everywhere might be brought into God's family, might be, become a part of God's people. So speaking of God's multi-ethnic church, the Apostle Peter would write these words, and he's taking language that applied to Israel in the Old Testament, and he applies it to the church. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal, um, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So redemption. God's work of redemption reveals that God is a God of grace and that he is a God who has a purpose and a plan for all people everywhere. But when you drop down to verse 10, the psalmist adds another dimension to these works. A new word is is brought in at that point, and, and we're reminded that with redemption comes refinement. That every redeemed person and every redeemed people will be refined by God in transformative ways. So after God redeemed Israel from Egypt, he then led them through the wilderness where he tested and refined them. Through various trials and struggles, God brought them out to abundance, according to verse 12. Now hearing the word test can, might make some of you squirm. It might cause some PTSD to, to pop up in your life as you remember what grade school was like. But we shouldn't think about grade school when we hear that word test. Because this is not a test that one takes and either passes or fails. This test is more like a strength and conditioning coach who pushes athletes so that they can grow stronger and that their limits may be broadened. This is what James had in mind when he told God's redeemed people writing to the church. He said, consider it a great joy. Whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. See, tests and trials are designed and leveraged by God to bring about an abundance of faith, hope, and love. God uses them to produce an abundance of Holy Spirit fruit, so that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and long-suffering and self-control may abound in our lives. And as we've said before, a tree's fruit doesn't feed itself. A tree's fruit feeds others. This is why God's work of refining his people is another reason the whole earth should shout joyfully to God. But what they should be able to or what they should be able to take from our examples in times of trial and trouble are things that would nourish their faith and nourish their hope and nourish their love. That they might take a bite out of us and find life and freedom and joy because they are tasting the goodness of God being worked out in our lives as people who are redeemed in Jesus and people being refined by Jesus, that that, that should nourish those around us. I drive a 2005 Honda Accord and my left headlight uh, wasn't shining as brightly as I needed it to or as brightly as I wanted it to. So I put a new headlight in thinking that would help, but it didn't. You see, over time, the, the cover of the, he- the, the headlight cover had turned into this dingy yellow color. And though there was a new bulb inside it, the dross it had collected over the years still hindered it from shining well. 
And so I had to remove the cover and apply some pressure. Use a little elbow grease to remove the dirt and the grime that had collected over the years, and, and that took some time. But eventually the bulb inside began to shine as brightly as, as it could, as brightly as it naturally did. When a person is redeemed by Jesus, a new life is placed within them. But it is placed within an old life that has collected grime and dross over the years. And sometimes our old self hinders the new life we have in Christ from shining as brightly as it can for others' enjoyment, for others to influence others. And so God is not only committed to redeeming us, but to refining us. And at times that means he has to apply pressure. It means he applies pressure through trials and troubles such as our current crisis to remove whatever may mute our new life from shining forth. Let me ask you a personal question. How is God refining you through this current pandemic? What dross is he removing from your life right now? See, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, we are walking through the same struggle the same fire and water, so to speak. In fact, everyone in the world is doing so, but not everyone in the world is going to come out on the other side to abundance. Not everyone will be refined through what's happening. Some people will be ruined by all that's happening. Warren Wiersbe was a pastor of a previous generation, and he once said that realism is idealism that has been through the fire and got purified. Cynicism is idealism that has been through the fire and got burned. Now, whether you get burned or purified is not determined by the intensity of the heat surrounding you. It's determined by the malleability of your character, the malleability of your spirit. And one truth that we have to come to grips with as we walk this road together is that God's highest ambition for our lives is not happiness, but holiness. If happiness was his goal, then his purpose would be threatened by COVID-19. And in our stubbornness, we might say things to God, why would you allow this to happen? It's not making us happy. But more important than our immediate happiness is our ultimate holiness. And if holiness is God's goal, then his purpose can be fulfilled through COVID-19. You might even say that our holiness requires it. So rather than stubbornly insisting upon our immediate happiness in this season, let's humbly move towards the holiness God desires to generate within us. Let's cooperate with the refinement that is taking place in our lives right now. C.S. Lewis once said, To ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. But because he is what he is, his love must, in the nature of things, be impeded and repelled by certain stains in our present character. And because he already loves us, he must labor to make us lovable 
It's a bit of a paradox. But what we would here and now call our happiness is not the end God chiefly has in view. But when we are such as he can love without impediment, we shall in fact then be happy. Happiness follows holiness in the kingdom of God. The world will shout for joy when they realize that immediate happiness is not the end-all, be-all of life in this world. If it is, then we are all losing. If it is, then we will all be defeated by this pandemic. The world will shout for joy when God's refining work in our lives draws their attention beyond the horizons of this earthly, earthly life. When they are tuned into the reality that immediate happiness is not nearly as significant as ultimate holiness, when we get that, that's when joy can rise even in the midst of our current situation because it means God is leveraging. He leverages trials and troubles, suffering and struggles. He leverages it all to scrub our lives, to clean our lives, to refine our lives so that we might come out on the other side to abundance abounding in faith and hope and love, abounding in the fruit of the Spirit and Christ-likeness, abounding in what really, truly matters. But the challenge of this is that if you are going to find yourself rejoicing in God's work of redemption and rejoicing in God's work of refinement, if you are going to be able to consider it all joy, the various trials that you are facing now, you, you got to lean in. Leaning in is required. It is called for. If you notice in the psalm, verses 1 through 12 is, is a panoramic picture. God is focusing on, or the psalmist is focusing on all of God's people and the effect that what he does for all of God's people has on all people everywhere. But then in verse 13, it shifts gears and it gets very personal. That in light of the redeeming and refining work of God designed to benefit the whole world, the psalmist personally leans in and he personally responds with worship. So that in verses 13 and 15, he declares all that he's going to do in response to what God has done. The ways in which he's going to worship and obey God in response to the ways that God has redeemed him and is refining him. He's leaning in in that moment. But notice that his worship is a response. That's very important. His worship is a response, not a prerequisite. He's not redeemed because he worships. He's worshiping because he is redeemed. He's not refined because he worshiped. He worships because he's being refined by a God who has what's best in store for him and in store for everyone else. See, grace and purpose, redemption and refinement, they it solicits worship out of us as God's wonderful works draw us in and changes our lives and delights our souls. And as we respond to what God is doing in this moment with, with worship and obedience, with faith and trust, as we lean in, our worship will become our witness. Our worship will be what generates the spread of the kingdom in the world right now, 
This is where the psalm shifts in verse 16. And we find ourselves extending the same invitation found there to everyone around us. We say to those, come and listen, all who fear God. That is, come and listen, all who are interested in the reality of God, all who are afraid, perhaps, of what what is happening in the world right now and what that means, what that might suggest to them about who God is and, and what they are like. Come and listen, all who fear God, who are interested in, in leaning in, and I will tell you what he has done for me. I will tell you how he has redeemed me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I will tell you that his love for me is not dependent upon what I do and how well I do it. His love for me is dependent upon Jesus and what Jesus has done to bring about the true exodus, to pave the way for me to cross over from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. I will tell of what he has done for me in redemption. But then I will also tell you about what he is doing right now in terms of refining me and changing me, how he is leveraging the trials and troubles that we are all facing to make me more like Christ, to cause this new life that he has put within me to shine in an unimpeded fashion. I'm going to tell you about the dross that he is scrubbing out of my heart and he's scrubbing out of my mind because of the current pandemic. I'm going to tell you that my ultimate holiness is far more important than my immediate happiness. And I'm going to tell you that your ultimate holiness is far more important than your immediate happiness, and that should lift your spirits because that means you're not losing in the midst of this pandemic. That means COVID-19 isn't conquering the plans and the purposes of God in your life. On the contrary, God is leveraging it for your good and his glory, just as he leveraged the cross of Jesus Christ. It was on the cross where it seemed as though we were losing because the Savior was dying. But God flipped the script on the cross and he leveraged that moment towards our redemption. He leverages that moment towards our refinement. When it seems like we may be losing, we want to consider the cross, which shows the way that God leverages those moments for our good and for his glory. So we invite everyone, come and listen, all who fear God. I will tell you for what he has done for me. And we respond to God's redeeming and refining work with worship and witness for the joy of all people everywhere. For what God is doing in our lives right now is not intended to stop with us. We are not cold to sacks of God's redeeming and refining activity. We are major intersections and thoroughfares connecting God's awe-inspiring activity to all people everywhere. That's what we're about. So let's lean in. Let's lean in to what God is doing right now. If you are not a Christian, lean in to the pure grace of redemption. Lean in and put your faith in the work of Jesus. Stop depending upon your own work. Lean in. And if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you to lean in to God's purposes of refinement. I want you to lean in and embrace ultimate holiness as God's higher ambition for you than your immediate happiness. Be malleable, be humble, for only then will you be able to consider it pure joy 
when you face trials of various kinds. Only then will those trials begin to serve your transformation. Only then will your trials broaden the limitations of your faith and your hope and your love and the fruit of the Spirit in your life right now. So lean in with malleability, lean in with humility, lean in trusting God to work all things together for the good of those who love him and who have been called by him according to his purposes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the work of redemption. We want to thank you for the works of refinement that are happening right now. God, I pray that you would work your purposes out within us and through us. I pray that you would cause your people to shine during this time so that shouts of joy may spring forth from every corner of the earth so that though we walk this road with everyone else in the world, let us walk this road differently. Help us to walk this road in faith, in hope, and in love. Help us to lean in to what you have done for us in Jesus. Help us to lean in in what you are doing for us right now by refining us and transforming our lives. God, remove the dross so that the light of the gospel may shine in an unimpeded fashion and that that light would draw more and more people to yourself that they would, too, would experience the true exodus by crossing over from death to life from darkness to light, and from bondage to freedom. God, let it be so for your glory and for the joy of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.